Thanks, Deborah, for sharing that with us. Um, we have a very wonderful, uh, special, delicious treat uh, this morning to hear from a dear friend, brother of mine. Uh, his name is Pastor KJ Kim. Uh, he is, um, I think, when I think of Brother KJ, he is a man of devotion. Uh, he is deeply devoted to his family. Um, some of you guys who are praying together with us know that uh, he came on Friday and then about 3 a.m. Friday, uh, he got word that his uh, father in Chicago was ill and so he flew out Friday morning. Um, everything turned out to be, to be okay and he flew back Saturday morning so he could be with us. That's devotion. That's love. Uh, he's deeply devoted to um, his wife, Susie, yesterday was their 11-year anniversary of their, uh, the day they got married. And so I think that's part of why he came back, not just for us, but uh, deeply devoted to his wife of 11 years. He's devoted to his family, four children, Sarah, Eunice, Mary, and Samuel, um, four kids, and they're all kind of uh, in, their, in our children's ministry right now. Uh, the family man, he's devoted to his church He's been at his uh, church as an associate pastor of Covenant Fellowship Church in University of Illinois, ministers to many, many students, uh, many, many uh, graduates and, and single adults and married folks now, and a lot of our missionaries um, that we support as a church, the Zimmers in Myanmar, Peter and Cindy O, uh, Milo, Natalie Cho, a lot of these guys have come from that church and were once on staff on the same church um, with Pastor KJ when he was a student. He graduated from University of Illinois, uh, went to... Uh, Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis and was called to be back at the church that he uh, fell in love with the Lord Jesus at in Champaign, Illinois. I grew up in Chicago. We um, have a lot of mutual friends. And so I heard of Pastor KJ when I was a first year, second year in college. And, and we, you know, just kind of crossed paths in different ways. But um, in recent years, we've had the joy of doing ministry together. He spoke here a couple years back to our youth ministry and and we have a partnership. He's one of the main organizers of a retreat uh, in the Midwest called Joshua Generation. And um, some of us have been out there. And so through that, we get to connect. And um, it's my deep joy um, to have him with us. He's not only devoted to all of these things, but he's devoted to the Lord God. And he said this before, but he said this to me again yesterday. He said, if you ever need someone to, to preach and to fill your pulpit, he said, don't, you don't have to give me anything. I'll fly my way out here. I'll do I just, I, I just I'll, I'll be here. Uh, to bring the Word of God. He's a man of uh, devotion to the Word and um, excited um, to be fed under his teachings. Let's welcome Pastor Cage as he comes to share with us. All right. Praise the Lord. It's good to be with you. It's crazy, crazy past couple days, as uh, Pastor D.L. said. It seems like every time I come out to Florida, something crazy happens. Uh, those of you who were at the youth retreat a couple years ago, I don't remember, maybe a few years ago when I was there, I actually missed my flight from Champaign to Chicago, so I had to drive to Chicago to catch that flight to come to Florida. Anyways, um, seems like something crazy happens. When we were at, uh, where were we at yesterday? Magic Kingdom. Um, our family was there. I lost my backpack that had everything in there. Had my wallet with my driver's license, our Disney tickets, um, gift cards that we had. To so it was a miserable couple hours. So it seems like every time I come to Florida, something crazy happens. So this might be my last time coming. <laughs> Anyways, it's good to be with you. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. You get the shaft. 
Mothers get recognized every, every Mother's Day. They get flowers. Fathers get nothing. But uh, happy Father's Day. Anyways, it's good to be with you. Um, I, uh, I love Pastor DL. He's a dear brother of mine. And, and uh, like he said, we've been doing ministry together. And I, I really value him. I think you're very fortunate to have him as your pastor. Amen. Hope you always appreciate and honor him and love him and his family. Anyways, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at a brief text together, perhaps familiar to you. Title of the message is Kingdom Treasure. As you're turning to Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46, it's two short parables that are joined together. question I'd like you to chew on from now until the end of the message is this question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think the testimony that our sister shared right before this is very fitting. Too many people are looking to God and the church to fill their needs. I believe this passage is saying, how can we serve God? How can we not look to get fed, to get met, to receive, but to give? I think that's what this text is saying. So anyways, question we're chewing on throughout this morning, is it worth it? Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray together before we talk about this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are present here. God, we pray that you would use Harvest Church to reap a harvest. That you would reap many, many for your name's sake. Pray that you would speak to us through your living word. Take our eyes off of ourselves and our situations. Help us to fix it on you, the one who is worthy of all worship and praise. Thank you for this time. We worship you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? That was actually the question I was chewing on in the summer of 2001. That was the first time I ever got a chance to go on a missions trip. And in the summer of 2001, I was going to Kenya. Uh, for a couple of weeks. There in Kenya, I had the privilege for the first time ever to share an open-air uh, message, a few-minute message uh, of just sharing the gospel and inviting people to come in. I was excited. I mean, I was somebody that was aspiring to be a pastor. I knew God was calling me, and uh, this was the first time publicly I could ever share the gospel. And so the way it worked, we, our team drove about three hours from, from uh, Nairobi to a remote place. So we drove about three hours to get there. There, when we got there, we had to carry these big speakers to amplify the, the speaker. So it was basically a speaker of like one of these monitors that size. So we had to carry that monitor another hour to our destination. So a total of four hours, three hours driving, one hour carrying this in the heat of the day. And uh, we set up, we basically, the way it worked, you just, we start singing and then people start coming because we're not, we're different colors. So anyways, they, they, they look, you know, we're, they think we're Americans. And so they come, we start singing and there's this sea of people that are there. And my heart is racing because this is the first time I'm sharing the gospel. This is my life dream to preach the gospel and 
bring people to Christ. So anyways, I'm getting excited. We're singing these songs. And then I come up to preach. And it was, I'll tell you, it was a very powerful message. It was only three minutes long, but it was powerful. That was a joke. You didn't get it. but it was a... <laughs> So I preached this powerful message. And at the end of that three minutes, I give this invitation. I say, okay, if any of you want to give your lives to Jesus, just come up. We'll pray for you. We'll welcome you into the family of God. As I give that invitation, I start pushing things to the side because I'm expecting, I'm expecting, I mean, I said it was a powerful message. I'm expecting a sea of people to come. So I'm starting to shoo things away. I say, and, and I'm wondering what's going on. Why is nobody there? Maybe the translation was a little off, right? So I say, okay, if any of you want to give your lives to Jesus, just come up. We'll pray for you. We'll accept you into our family, welcome you into our family. And I'm standing there. No one. Seconds go by. Eventually. So because I'm thinking it just takes one soul, right? Like one person to come up, break the ice, and then a flood, floodgate of heaven will come, right? So I'm thinking it just takes one. Lord, Lord, I'm praying. Eventually, after about a minute, one soul gets up and I'm thinking, yes, Lord, they are coming. And he turns to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Minutes go by. Nobody comes. I felt like a failure. We packed up our stuff, carried the speaker back another hour in the sun to our, our, our vehicle, drove another three hours. I felt so terrible. It was so bad. Like one of the team members came up to me and said, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, right? But the whole time I'm driving back, that question is going through my mind. Was this worth it? Was this worth it? We drove, we drove six hours, total of eight hours of travel to go to a place where nobody comes to Christ. Was this worth it? We ask that question a lot, don't we? Is this worth it? And basically, when we ask that question, what we're asking is, is the potential reward greater than the cost? Whenever you ask that question, is it worth it? What we're asking is, is the reward greater than the cost I'm going to pay? In this passage, we looked at these two parables um, are specifically parables. Parables are basically short stories designed to teach a truth or to answer a question. They're not allegories, so it doesn't mean everything uh, represents something else in real life. Sometimes the details are there just to build up a story. More often than not, the parables have one main point. Uh, it's not often that the preacher will tell you the end of the message at the beginning. But I'm going to tell you what I believe this text is saying. I believe this text is saying it is worth it. Being a part of God's kingdom, living for him, is worth it. Being a part of the kingdom is of infinite worth. Amen? I believe that's what this text is saying. And for us to get there, we're just going to talk about three things. We'll talk about the kingdom citizens, the kingdom cost, and then we'll talk about the kingdom worth. So first, let's talk about the kingdom citizens. When we look at the two, two characters in this parable, we see that they are worlds apart, two completely different people. 
One of them stumbles across the treasure. The other is actually searching for the pearl. The first, let's talk about this first character, first citizen, stumbles across the treasure. Verse 44, if you look at verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it and covered up, uh, found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all he has, buys that field. If you've ever seen the Antique Roadshow, any of you have watched, have watched Antique Roadshow? Anybody know what it is, Antique Roadshow? Okay, just a handful of the older folk. Younger folks are like, what is this Antique Roadshow? Basically, the way the Antique Roadshow works, people have these different things laying around their house. It's been in their house for a while. And so they bring this random thing. It could be like an old cup or like a table or a painting, something. They bring something that's been sitting around their house to an expert, to appraise. And, you know, sometimes it's a piece of junk. They'll say, oh, it's only worth. At the, the way it works is, like, they'll assess it. And these, these uh, experts, it's, like, crazy what they know. It's like they'll, they'll talk about the smallest detail, and you're like, what? Are you making this up? How would you know this? And then at the end, what they do is they say estimated value, and they, they say how much it was. Well, anyways, I came across this clip of this old man who had this rug, carpet kind of thing, draped on his rocking chair. It's been part of his family for generations and generations and generations. It's just been on his rocking chair. And so he brings this little rug, this carpet kind of thing, to one of these antique road shows. And the moment this expert sees his rug, it was, it was kind of humorous because he says, Whoa, where did you get this? And the guy's like, you know, it's been on my rocking chair for my father had it, my grandfather had it, his father had it. It's been in our family for generations. The man says, do you know how rare this is? It is, it is the rug of a Navajo Indian. And you're like, what? Like, how do you know that? He says, you look at the fabric and the color. I know it was the chief of that tribe. Okay, anyways, they go through this long detail, several minutes, and then, you know, he gets to the point where, that we're all waiting. Do you know how much it's worth? And the man is thinking, I don't know, $50, $100? This expert says, this rug is worth half a million dollars. And this old man, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He's like, whoa. Right? <laughs> like, it was, it was crazy. It's been on his rocking chair for gener- like anybody could have walked in and taken it. It was just under his nose, half a million dollars. And the shock he finds, experiences, when he realizes it's worth something. I think that's how this first character feels. Uh, most likely this character is on the poor end, a poor man. felt uh, That's how he felt as he stumbles across the treasure. Verse 44, when a man found it. He hid it again. In the ancient world, there was nothing like banks. There was no way of keeping your values, valuable things, safe. And so what people would do is they would bury their valuable treasures underground. In the case that uh, raiders come or thieves come, it's safe. But what would happen is through the course of time, that treasure was forgotten until somebody uncovers it. What most likely happened is that he is a hired hand. He's not the owner of this house. He's probably a hired hand. 
working the field like he does every day. But this particular day, as he's digging into the ground, something's different. His shovel clinks on something. It's something different. So he starts to uncover, starts to clear out the dirt, and realizes there's a treasure. That's what this person is experiencing. Has no idea there's a treasure under him. In his mind, he's doing his own business, working the field like he always does. But this day is different. That's who he is. He stumbles across the treasure. But there's another kingdom citizen in this parable. This person searches for the pearl. The first just randomly comes across it. This person is actively searching for it. Verse 45, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. This person is most likely an affluent man. And he's looking. That word looking means to intently search for. To intently search for. It's the same word when you look at Matthew chapter 18. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. You know the story. When a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, what does he do? He leaves the flock of 99 And it's the same word. He looks for, he searches for, it's that same word. He searches, he looks for the one that wandered off. Pearls in those days, they were viewed much in the same way that people viewed diamonds. Extremely valuable, extremely rare. Pearl hunters would basically tie a heavy rock around their waist, throw it overboard to help them propel deep enough, holding their breath, trying to break open these clams to get these pearls. So you can imagine how many pearl hunters have lost their lives in this process. It's no wonder why these pearls were so valuable. One person stumbles across the treasure. This person searches for the pearl. This parable basically takes two people worlds apart to show that anyone can come into this kingdom. Whether you are... Uh, you stumble across this treasure. Maybe you've been a youth, you were a youth group student, came to a retreat randomly, and that message spoke to you. You weren't intending on finding God. You went for friends, but God spoke to you that day. You stumbled across that treasure. But I know that there are many of you in here who have actively been searching. You've been wondering, is God real? And you have these questions. And as you're searching for God, you find him. But the amazing thing, theologically speaking, whether one person stumbles across it, whether somebody has been searching for Christ, is not that we found him, but that he found us. He was pursuing us our whole lives. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, you don't have to turn there. But that basically, Paul is basically saying he orchestrated everything so that we would find him. It says in that verse, he determined the time set for them so that men would seek him. Really, he was pursuing us. Don't ever forget how you came into this kingdom. Don't ever lose that joy, that wonder, that first love that you had when you first came to know Christ. If you loved Christ more then than now, I think something's wrong. There should be something when you think about that moment when you came to Christ. Don't ever forget that. And as you think about that, the beauty of that should draw love in your heart. 
Don't ever forget how you came into the kingdom. When you find a treasure, something so absolutely beautiful to you, you come to a crossroad and you need to make a decision. This particular decision for these people had a cost. So secondly, let's talk about this kingdom cost. There's a cost to both of them. And it's actually the same cost. The author intentionally uses the same language to show that the cost is the exact same. Look at verse 44. I want everybody to look at 44 because the author is very intentional with this. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went, and here's the cost, sold all he had and bought that field. There's a cost. He sold everything to make a purchase, to buy. The one who stumbles across the treasure sells everything and he buys. This other person, other citizen, verse 45, does the exact same thing, uses the same language, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, went away and sold everything. Same language. Sold everything he had and bought it. Sold everything and bought. Two people very different we talked about. One is affluent. One is poor. One was searching. The other stumbled. Two very different people, but they had the same response they sold everything and they bought the treasure it's not the price that shows the value but it's how much someone is willing to pay that shows the value of something because you could set something real high and nobody will ever buy it but it's how much someone is willing to pay that really exposes the value of that object Uh, when david livingstone was a little boy, as a a speaker named Ravi Zacharias tells. His father used to put him on his knee, read stories about old, famous missionaries. And uh, as a young boy, David Livingstone turns to his father and he says this, Daddy, I want to be like one of those missionaries. I want to be a medical missionary. As he got older, He pursued that dream of becoming a medical missionary. And that was everything. It drove everything he did. Eventually, he got to that point, and this was his prayer. He says, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any ties, but the ties that bind me to your service and to your heart. And when he made that prayer, he heard God whispering to him. And God said, lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. As David Livingstone began his time as a medical missionary, um, it eventually led him to Africa. As he stepped foot in Africa, this is what he wrote in his journal. He says, The haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun has burned within my heart. Four years later, Uh, David Livingstone met the love of his life. Her name was Mary Moffat, and they were soon married. But the demands of being in Africa was so difficult, uh, they eventually lost their two-month daughter. And so with tears in his eyes, he sent his wife and the rest of his family back home uh, to London, and he corresponded with them through letters. 
The next time David Livingstone saw his family was not five days or five weeks, five months, but it was five years later that David Livingstone uh, saw his family. Stories are told that the, that time, five years later, after five years has elapsed, his family could hardly recognize him because his skin was so charred from being in the African sun. Uh, his skin was charred. Part of his eye was um, basically raked from the trees and the vines as he's walking through there. His eye got uh, basically uh, decimated to a certain point. And in an encounter with uh, a lion that he miraculously escaped, stories are told that it ripped off a portion of his shoulder. So the next time his family saw him, they could barely recognize him. Um, but as they're spending time with each other, again, the African soil was very, or as he was on furlough, he turns to his wife and he says, honey, the haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages still burn within my heart. Felt this urge, a tug he needed to go back to Africa. And so again, with tears in his eyes, he goes. And before he goes, his wife says, when the children are old enough, I will join you in Africa. Eventually, his children grew old enough. She traveled to Africa. The moment she stepped foot on African soil, she contracted uh, spinal meningitis. And within a few days, she passed away. In deep sorrow at this funeral, tears streaming down his face at this point, as he's kneeling at her gravesite, he prays his prayer to Jesus. He says, My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again consecrate myself to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or in anything I shall do except in relation to thy kingdom. And to thy service. And as he made that prayer at her gravesite, he heard God whisper to him, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The point here is not that we can buy ourselves into the kingdom. Because we just talked about in the previous point, God pursues us. It is all by grace. No, the point is not that we can buy our way into the kingdom. The point here is that the kingdom costs everything that we have. There is cost involved in being a part of this kingdom. Kingdom citizens, they value being in the kingdom so much that they sell everything. There is a cost involved. And the cost, when we see in scripture, is selling Selling all that we have, whatever that means to us, whatever that means, and it means something different to high school students, college students, young adults, whatever that means. But Scripture calls us, sell all that we have. It's not because God likes to see people selling everything for the sake of it. But when you sell everything, it shows where your heart is. When you pay a cost, however, however big or small, it shows what you value. It shows where your heart is. At the root of it, to sell everything that we own 
means in our hearts, valuing nothing more than Christ. Some of you, it might mean literally selling things. But I don't think that's the application for all of us. Sell everything and live a a life of poverty. I don't think that's the application, though some of us it might be. But I believe when this language of selling everything, it's this idea of valuing nothing more than Christ. To fully submit ourselves to the reign of Christ. The point of selling everything in this parable is simply to show where their heart is. That this treasure, that this pearl meant more than anything. We are called to sell everything or to be ready to. To cherish nothing more than Christ. Valuing the reign and rule of Christ more than life itself. Because you value Christ. This passage is saying we need to be ready to to sell everything. One possession at a time. But if we end this message here, right? Like, Kingdom costs everything you have. Let's pray. It's kind of a grim message, isn't it? Like, man, that's hard. That's a hard message. So we've got to end with this point, the kingdom worth. The kingdom worth. It's interesting. When David Livingstone, this man that I just talked about in the previous point, people would come up to him and uh, applaud him. How did you live such a sacrificial life? How did you sacrifice so much? I love what he says. This is what he says. When people say, how did you make such a sacrifice? He says, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice? And then he says this. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. I never made a sacrifice. When you think of everything he went through, physically going through all of these things, losing children, losing his wife, he says, I never made a sacrifice. What he's saying is... It is worth it. I think about this story. I mean, I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Can't you imagine all these people hear this story about this merchant, this merchant who goes to the store, sells everything he owns to get a pearl. I mean, think about it. If you were that person's friend, what would you say to him? Like he sold his house, his car, everything for just a pearl. If you hear that story as his friend, I'm sure you would say this. You did what? You sold everything for that pearl? But I imagine when his friends say, you, why did you do that? Why would you do that? You, you did all of that? I imagine him with a big smile on his face saying, it is worth it. Because there's something about this treasure that he sees that others don't. It is worth it. I believe that this world is looking for a treasure. I believe this world is looking for a treasure that's worth selling everything for. The problem is they have found cheap substitutes. The problem is they have found things that don't last. The problem is they have found a lot of counterfeit treasures. 
But I believe this world is looking for a treasure worth selling everything for. Some sell everything so that they can have worldly treasure, sacrificing time, family, health to have more equity. Others sell everything for the sake of their family. They'll go through pain, less sleep to provide for their family. There's something about this treasure that he sees that others don't. He sees the objective value of it. He sees that there is an objective value to the treasure. It is not until he stumbles across, or it's not until one stumbles across the treasure, sees the amazing value of the treasure that he sells, all that he has to get that treasure. It's not until that merchant sees the pearl of great value, great worth, the beauty, worth of that pearl, he sells everything. There is objective value to the treasure. But think about it. There were a lot of people that probably went into that store, saw that pearl, and just walked by. Even though it is valuable, a lot of people saw it and didn't give a second glance to it. There's something about this treasure. There's a subjective treasuring, too. It's not just that it's objective valuable, objectively valuable. It's that he subjectively treasures it. Look at verse 44. This is a verse I've read for many times, many years. But I remember one time reading it, something just jumped out at there. Look at verse 44. It's a small phrase that says a lot. I think a lot of it is tied up in that phrase. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy. It's a phrase I've missed for many years. But that stands out. In his joy. It was not difficult. There was joy. He can't believe that he could walk away with this pearl in his joy. Their subjective treasuring of the supreme uh, worth of what he has in his joy. There's joy. It's not a sacrifice. It's a joyful thing, a deep joy. When this person sees the value of what he's able to possess, whatever he gives is not considered a sacrifice. The reason is because the beauty of that object far outweighs the cost. The beauty of that object far outweighs the cost. When we realize the worth and value of something, whatever sacrifice we make is insignificant. It doesn't nullify the pain. It doesn't mean you won't experience pain. It just puts that pain in perspective. When Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that it is worth it. It is worth it to follow Christ and to live for his kingdom because he is worth it. We need to see the king of the kingdom who sold all he had and made a purchase. He sold all he had. He gave up all of his eternal glory. He gave up all of his eternal glory. It's not just the the pain of being crucified. That's part of it. That's a lot of it. But he gave up all of his eternal glory um, and took on the form of man. 
Philippians 2, 6 says, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. A lot of us think when we go to heaven, Jesus is going to be in the spiritual form. And that's not true. Scripture tells us when we worship him, for eternity, he will have a fleshly body. He gave up all of that eternal glory, came from heaven to earth, and for eternity, he will have that form. The nail-pierced hands. He sold everything. We need to see the king of the kingdom who bought us at the cross. He bought our salvation as he sold all that he had. He sold everything to purchase us with his life, death, and resurrection. Being a citizen in this kingdom is worth it because he is worth it. Amen? There is a cost, but is worth it because he is worth it. When you see the great value of the treasure and pearl, people around you might say, what are you doing? Why are you living like this? Because you're going to stand out differently. But you can know with a big smile on your face, you could turn to them and say, it is worth it because he is worth it. And the prayer of his people, my Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again consecrate myself to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or in anything I shall do except in relation to thy kingdom and to thy service. And may we all hear the whisper of God saying, lo, I'm with you always the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Let's just pray for a minute. I believe God is here. I believe God is speaking to many of you. I believe the God, the question that God is posing to you Do you see the infinite worth of Christ? Because I know a lot of us, if you live life long enough, there will be a lot of moments where you say, is this worth it? Is this really worth it? The key is those moments, take your eyes off of yourself and situation and see the infinite worth of Christ. Let's just spend a few minutes in prayer. And there's a question I'd like us to chew on and pray about. Is there anything in your life that you value more than Christ? The goal is not just to have a love for Christ. Because I believe most of us, if not all of us, have a love for Christ. The goal is to have, to love nothing more than Christ. Not just to love Christ, but to have no other loves but Christ. Just pray for a minute and and just pray about that. Is there anything that I value more than Christ? In addition to Christ. And perhaps God is calling you. You need to give that up in your hearts. Just pray for a minute. I'll, I'll lift up maybe one or two other topics and then the worship team will pick up from there.
like to speak to two camps. If you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, I want you to think about when you first came to Christ, whether you stumbled across a treasure, whether you've been searching for the pearl, and you worship him and you say, thank you for my salvation. But if you are somebody that uh, perhaps is not following Christ, there is a treasure that you've been searching for that is saying he is here for you. If you trust in his life, death, and resurrection, if you want to commit your life to Christ, I encourage you to make a prayer. Give yourself to Christ. And you can stop searching for these chief substitutes in this world. Just make a prayer wherever you are in your faith. Just pray for a minute. for one last thing. I want us to pray for harvest. Your church, your people, your body. Uh, Just pray this. Lord, may we be a, a community that sells everything, that values you more than anything, that embodies what sacrifice looks like. Because as you do that, you are picturing the one that sacrificed all. May you be a community that is willing to put your lives, your treasures on the line for the treasure. Just pray for your your people and then uh, uh, we'll continue on.